0: You're listening to Wealth Tech on Deck, a podcast about the future of wealth management technology brought to you by LifeYield. Here's your host, Jack Sherry.
1: Hello, everyone. Thank you for joining us on Wealth Tech on Deck. Each week, we talk with industry executives about their strategy regarding the future of financial advice. And we pay particular attention to what I call the confluence of digital and human advice. So today I'm pleased to be joined by Brian Ross. He's the CEO of Flyer Financial Technologies. You may know it as Fix Flyer. They recently did a little bit of rebranding. Maybe we'll hear about that. Flyer is a leader in trading technology that brings together major custodians and brokers and fintech firms through APIs. Brian will fill us in on that in a moment. I've had the pleasure of speaking with Brian at conferences over the years, and I'm very pleased he's going to join us today to talk about his business and what his team has built. They seem to be on a roll. So, Brian, welcome. Good to have you on the show.
0: Great to be here, Jack. I really appreciate it. And by the way, I love that LifeYield is helping families manage wealth. To me, this is really personal. My father, my grandfather, my great-grandfather, all involved in banking and investment management and I care deeply about, you know, carrying on their legacy and providing providing value that's great. to families, you know, trying to create wealth.
1: Well, that, so, that's much appreciated and for our audience. I did not pay Brian to say that. <laughs> <laughs> so Brian, talk about your business. When you explain what you do? Because I, I know you bring great efficiencies to the to the marketplace. Yeah. But why do you talk a little bit about what you guys get you guys do?
0: Yeah, great. So uh, I think your intro was was pretty spot on. APIs and partner integrations, very important to us. Integration to vendors and brokers and custodians. You know, we kind of in this regard aspire to be kind of like a plaid for Wealth Tech rather than banking and payments. So we help partners like Tamarack Orion, Riskalyze, Morningstar, invest in others rapidly, assemble, build, and use sophisticated trading tools so managers can trade faster with their custodians and brokers. So in addition to these integrations and APIs, we have trading screens for you know portfolio trading and compliance, and these sit on top of our APIs and the Flyer Trading Network that connects to hundreds of custodians, brokers, and partners.
1: So talk a little bit, if you would, about this whole thing about API. That's a term that our, our friends on the tech ops side have talked about for years, but now people yeah. like us are talking about it. Why, why does that matter? Why are they important?
0: Yeah, a no, really good question and really important. Listen in the old days you had these monolithic systems that were pretty closed and they you know said they offered APIs but it was lock in type APIs and integrations were not easy. In today's world APIs and open platforms are really important so that you can assemble best of breed you know providers and the APIs for us can be rest APIs that are really fast to assemble on you know web screens they can be you know APIs directly into our network through through either rest or web services or .net or fix there's lots of ways to leverage our trading expertise and our connectivity so you know we consider it strategic to sort of the future of wealth tech it's certainly strategic to the future of banking and other industries you see it with firms like stripe and plaid and others so i mean we're all about apis and the tech stack to facilitate apis without this sort of monolithic Tool set. I think those firms that still offer like that need to be considering unbundling and offering services out via APIs. So you can get sort of best of breed, and they can, in fact, get a larger you know, set of clients as well if they do that.
1: Yep. Yep. For our audience, I'm going to explain in case you're wondering what we're talking about <laughs> around APIs. What does API stand for? Again, I've heard it a million times.
0: Application over. Programming Interface. Yeah.
1: Basically, it's a way. It's the connectivity of all the capabilities of a wealth manager or a fintech or whoever. It's a way to connect all the dots. It's a way to, to take the efficiency of what Flyer does, the efficiency of what Lifefield does, the efficiency of what uh, Riskalize does or Orion or whatever their efficiencies are, and makes it faster, better, cheaper. So who wins is the investor and the advisor in the firm, right? To get that right? You no, know, I, th-
0: I think that's right. You know, I... You know, when you can put best of breed providers together, people that specialize in a specific area but easily integrate to each other, that could be like Lifefield and Flyer Financial Tech as well, you know, or yep. some of the firms that I previously mentioned. Then you can, as a manager, really sort of assemble a tool set. Yep. Or even as a technology provider, you can assemble a broader scoped tool set very quickly. So, that's that becomes strategic.
1: Yeah. So, our audience has heard a lot. We talk a lot about uh- The whole concept of the unified managed household, where you're taking multiple accounts, products, holdings, multiple fintech capabilities, wealth tech capabilities, trading, accounting, and just all it. There's all these different elements that comprise UMH, which basically is is a way for a wealth management firm. I'll use Morgan Stanley as an example. Many are familiar with what uh, Lifefield and Morgan Stanley have done. Basically, what they do is they have Yodely for data aggregation. They yeah. had Money Guide Pro, and then they developed their own GPS financial planning software. That's another capability they have. They have a proposal system, which is an in-house yeah. proposal system. LifeField does the the uh, tax optimization for asset location and down-the-road income. You guys do the trading. There's a, I keep going. There's on and on of rebalancing and all the different elements around managing a household. And that connectivity occurs and I'll use a specific example because I'm familiar, but I'd like to hear your version of it for for Flyer. With us, basically, we have no client identifying information, but they want to know when they're looking at a set of numbers, they're looking at an account with multiple accounts. They ask us a question called, how do I get the best asset location and how much more money will the client have as a result? So, they have the user experience. They have the client interface. We just answer a question, sophisticated question typically, and we give an answer in a nanosecond and it shows up in the client statement. So that's, if you're wondering what an API does, it's that way where we can work with a firm, provide our secret sauce. They can provide greater value to the client. So talk a little about where does fix FixFlyer, or Flyer as it's called now, where does that all fit in?
0: Yeah. So, we're all about trading smarter and providing tools to do that. Uh, so, one of the things I would say is maybe by way of an example of an API, look at what we did for Riskalize. So, Riskalize has got their risk number. They had a rebalancing tool that they assembled and they could create lots of orders. Those orders would be downloaded in a file and uploaded to a custodian site. And when the orders got executed, they'd be downloaded and then you know, the executions and the allocations will be sort of, again, loaded back into your platform. So, you know, it was a very manual process. And what, what we did for them is we said, you know what, let's you know, use our API, use our trading API. And it took them less than a couple months, right? Three months, in fact. It took them to actually roll out their own trading platform where we could take all those orders from all those accounts, block them up by side and symbol, get them executed wherever they wanted could be multiple custodians or brokers and then get the allocations back and get them you know out uh, back into the platform so that all happens you know in a matter of a second as opposed to manually downloading and uploading files and then manually getting those executions back and the allocations back it's a very manual process so the API to do that is is our copilot API and we were very proud of the fact that we helped Aaron and his team roll out trading in three months, which is sort of unheard of. It mm-hmm. takes a long time to develop a trading platform. So that's, that's one example of how a vendor used our API to rapidly roll out a tool that helps their clients. So, you know, there's a real problem, Jack, when you're slow with regard to you make your portfolio management decision that you want to rebalance or swap this for that. And now you've got to actually get the execution done. Are you going to actually take the time to download it and then push it to a custodian, wait for an execution to come back, and then, or can you just click a button and go? So, yes. this is a yes. one click, get it done.
1: Yeah. So, for those, I'm thinking of our audience that are what I refer to as the architect builders of platforms at uh, major firms around our industry, all of whom are moving in this UMH direction. And there's lots of capabilities that we've already highlighted a few. But the idea is to make it all work better, faster, cheaper. Smarter and all to one aim that is improving outcome for the client and the advisor and the firm. It's, it's that win 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 when you do it as efficiently and as cost effectively and as smart as you can. So, what we're talking about here really is each piece of this ecosystem, each element of that, if it's faster, cheaper, better. That translates into a couple of things. One, you can quantify the benefit, at least that's what we do. And I know on the risk sides with risk allies and Aladdin has a version of this and and I know Hidden Levers has a version of this in terms of the risk piece. The idea is that if you make the risk faster, better, smarter. If you make the tax, that's what Life does, that faster, better, smarter. If you do the trading, which is what is what you're talking about, Brian, faster, better, smarter, that starts to add up to real money. In other words. It does. Yeah. So we'll talk a little bit about that because that's you're part of that ecosystem when we're all in it together, so to speak, but working collaboratively.
0: Yeah. To me, there's sort of uh, three aspects to smart trading. One I kind of touched base on, you want to shorten the time from your investment decision to the implementation and actual trade execution. That's got to be down to like a second, right? That's what it should be, right? Otherwise, you're in a implementation shortfall situation where it takes a long time to get your your strategy implemented. And in a volatile market, that can really matter. So no more manual uploads to custodians and downloads of executions. That shouldn't be happening anymore. It's 2021, for God's sake. It's almost 2022. So that's one thing. There's also, we help identify opportunities to get better prices. So you might have less liquid stocks. You might want to trade them away for better pricing. You might want to leverage you know, all those to do that. Algorithmic trading is something that might give you a better average price or you know, there's lots of different algos out there that brokers provide and taking advantage of them will get you a better price. You might want to avoid market orders unless it's a super liquid stock and, and it's just more important to just get it done really quickly. So all those things, shortening the time from investment decision implementation to identifying opportunities with illiquid stocks and sort of avoiding market orders and using sort of algos will lead to smarter trading and results for the client. That could be as much as 25 to 75 bips per trade, depending on how liquid the security is and depending on how volatile the market is.
1: So, again, expanding on this and also making sure our audience is following along, which I'm sure you are. If you can add 5075 bibs, as, as Brian just highlighted, if you can add, in our case, if you can improve overall outcome of accumulation income by a third over time, if you can improve the risk characteristics in such a way that you're improving and can quantify the benefit, it leads to what I refer to, uh, or many people are using the expression of next best outcome or next best action or next best trade or next best whatever. In other words, if you're going to determine the next best thing to do, it's it's a buzzword. It's become and. It's like AI. People just like to talk about it. They don't know what it means exactly. But a next best action presumes you've quantified the benefit of all potential actions. So then you can determine the next best thing to do, which is to adjust risks, is to address tax, is to trade smarter, you know, whatever it might be to do a Roth conversion. What is the next best thing? But that presumes quantification. And because yeah. of API connection, I'm trying to draw it all together. So people get this sort of ecosystem concept as more than just some buzzwords. But as you tie all this stuff together, you're talking about real money that, that in terms of improving outcome that you can quantify the benefit and then setting up and telling the client, here's the next best thing to do. And here's how much more money you're going to have as a result. Does that make sense?
0: That makes perfect sense to me. Yeah. And uh, that's what the smart vendors are trying to do for, for their clients.
1: So we've talked uh, about what collectively we're working on in our industry now. Where do you see all this going? Where is this headed? What does this look like down the road?
0: Yeah, I mean, to me, listen, I, lessons I learned at BlackRock, you know, tech, 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 use it for strategic advantage to help your clients. So this can include everything from the cloud to APIs to personalization. And if you're not doing these things, you know, you may be missing the next train you know, to Clarksville. So uh, <laughs> it's... This, yeah, you got to be old enough to know that one.
1: Um, <laughs> I, I know it. <laughs> okay.
0: So, you know, tech and APIs, personalization, it affects all facets of our business, all facets of our industry. Best of breed platforms should be easily able to integrate. We touched on this a little bit. Monolithic tech platforms need to transition to more modular, dynamic tech platforms that yeah. are highly specialized. Unbundling yeah. these monolithic platforms and providing access to services via APIs is is now strategic to our industry. The entire life cycle of wealth management is undergoing upheaval, from financial planning and investment guidelines to portfolio creation, on through trading, accounting, and reporting.
1: Yeah, yeah. So
0: it's really an interesting time, and we think you know, tech leadership from firms that really understand what can be more efficient and what can help the industry becomes really strategic.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's the thing we're seeing around the industry from where we sit. I'm sure you're seeing the same. And that is firms have caught on. There, there's a fair amount of confusion as to where to start and how to prioritize. Well, at least we find some mistaken notions about what, what they should do. But as I was talking to a colleague, we both know who gets around the industry. He was highlighting, he says, you know, wherever I go these days, I'm hearing this concept of unified managed household, which is really about managing it all together, which you couldn't do yeah. Frankly, until very recently, just because it's so complex, and as you described earlier, the upload, the download, the you know backload, the front load, just it was a lot of time going back it and is. forth with data. Now it it's just in a, you know, seconds.
0: Yeah, that's right. And I think when you look at sort of the direction of the industry, and you want to provide you know support for all workflows and asset classes, equity options, fixed income alternatives, these things, this sort of idea of u- ubiquitous portfolio trading that is highly personalized is really important. So yeah, yeah. it requires a multi-asset tool set and features like uh, maybe personalized direct indices, customized ESG sleeves. These things become important to households that want a more custom you know, and, and personalized
1: approach. Yeah, yeah. Actually, you may not go back as far as I do, but I remember in the 80s, just a brief history for those who uh, remember or care, <laughs> Our retail investing started with the CMA when interest rates were at 18% and uh, money poured out of banks into the brokerage firms. And then soon after, as 18% became 17, 16 on down, they flowed into mutual funds and mostly bond funds, if you remember way back when. Sure, That's kind of where yeah. it started to that bond crash of, uh, actually through the early 80s, it was, it was mostly, especially government-backed bond funds because it sounded like it was guaranteed or something, which- that's where savers became investors after they got smacked a few times on that. But the point is, it was, it was a pretty simple stocks and bonds, cash stocks and bonds. And then if you remember this in the, in the mid 80s, it, growth in value was sort of a new concept. You know, and what you're describing this sort of personalization. We're down to we're down into the minutest ways of of personalizing a portfolio because of the technology, how far it's advanced. So, and you can do that from a risk standpoint. You can do it from a tax standpoint. You can do it from a cost standpoint. So, you know, all the all the ways that you improve outcome beyond beyond market performance is pretty fascinating. How far we've come from stocks, bonds, and cash to growth and yeah. value to now, you know, the minutest of of splitting of, of securities.
0: Yeah, no, it's interesting. It's a, it's a great time to be working hard on these, on these changes. So,
1: so I, I heard you say BlackRock. Sounds like you spent some time there. A little bit about your ba- background. How did you, you get into this business?
0: Well, you know, I mean, a little bit of history here. So, I actually, and I it's a little bit of an oddball in some ways. I, I started at, as an engineer. You know, I worked at JPL and NASA for really? almost 11 years, right, on Voyager and Galileo and Hubble Space Telescope. And, you know, in 1995, I took my resume to BlackRock and they actually loved, you know, in the interview, they loved my NASA and tech background. Yeah, so, yeah. I, start, I started at BlackRock in 95. They had 20 billion in AUM and 120 people on a single floor. Today, wow. you know, they've got whatever, 9 trillion in 30 countries across 70 offices. Wow. I'll tell you a couple of things real quick you know they always had a strong emphasis on using technology for a yep. strategic yep. advantage yep. On, on risk on everything they could yep. do to become efficient so i feel lucky that that was my first introduction to the industry and i have huge debt of gratitude to blackrock and the people yeah. there yeah, i learned a lot there yeah. about asset yeah. management and the importance of tech
1: yeah, and they're still big proponents, as you know, around yeah. the whole tech. It's, it gets harder as, as things go on and you get bigger, too. That's
0: it, it does. So credit to them for the changes in the way they've managed it. They still have a lot of senior people there that I know from a yeah. long time ago. Yeah. And yeah. it's it's really it's really impressive what they've achieved. It's, yeah. You know, the stock came out at 14. I don't know what it's trading at today, 850?
1: Wow. Wow. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I'm... I'm I'm a fan of Larry Fink. I think he's really done a brilliant job. Me too. We connect with them actually at Morgan Stanley, the retail side, they use Aladdin and they use us for for tax. And then uh, there's another firm we're working with, another big firm people would know. They're entertaining working with the BlackRock and us because, Basically, the way I look mm-hmm. is is anytime you make a risk adjustment, not only do you have to do a trade, but you know, there's a tax consequence, just what happens sure. every time. So yeah. if you're going to trade for risk, which is smart, then you better be pretty smart about what you're going to do about tax. That's just sort of how that I refer to it as flip side of the same coin. Yeah,
0: it, You know, it's interesting. You go back to when I, I left BlackRock around 2003, and I remember even at that time. Right, this is I think pre M the Merrill Lynch and the BGI deals and all the yeah. other deals they've done.
1: Yeah, Barclays. You know, yeah. But
0: Larry Larry would be you know he would have lunch with John Mack, CEO of Morgan Stanley. He's not there anymore, but yeah. he would come back and he'd tell a lot of the staff you know how important wealth management was,
1: yeah, and yeah. and
0: how we really need to focus on you know where the direction of it, and then that's what led to the M and the BGI deals. Is sort yeah. of. His belief in the in the future uh, yeah. acceleration of acceleration of of wealth accumulation for Americans and internationally as well.
1: Yeah, yeah, no, very smart, very smart. Yeah. And so after you left BlackRock, how did you wind up at Flyer? Talk about your journey there.
0: Well, I, I you know, one of the things I did at BlackRock was build up a software company called Trap that specialized in commercial mortgage backed securities and and commercial loans and pipelining and. And we had a big deal with Bloomberg at, you know, BlackRock had control and, and I built it up. I helped build it up with some very talented people at Trep. And after three years, I left. And after five years, I, I was back at BlackRock and, you know, Trepp was sold and I had a nice little payday. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I took that and decided, uh, you know, to hit the, hit the beach or the golf course or whatever. I discovered I, I wasn't a very good golfer. And one, one of the things one of the things i one of the partners I was golfing with was my friend George, who had left Blackrock in ninety seven or eight and he started the first electronic trading software company it was called Javelin, and he successfully exited for like fifty five million and so he was on the golf course with me, and we were horrible golfers. He's a better <laughs> pilot than me, but I can drive it further anyways uh you know uh. He said, listen, let's, let's, let's do this again and uh, let's get started. And uh, so George pulled in me and uh, Manny Prager, our very talented CTO, who came from Bloomberg and J.P. Morgan. And in 2005, you know, we started. And our belief then is still our belief today. And it's that technology is rapidly changing the landscape of our industry. Yep. The entire ecosystem is shifting. Yep. Yep. The way people have been taught to work is perfectly suited to a world that no longer exists. Yep. So what yep. can we do to, to kind of help them?
1: Yeah. Yeah. Well, look at us. Uh, I'm sitting in my house. I assuming you're in your house. And yep. I joke, I have a home in Vermont, which I spend most of my time lately. And I, uh, you know, I hang out with the guys that uh, plow the streets. And then I talk to people like you or high flyers on at Black Rock and Wall Street. It's just
0: yeah, it's it's, it's wild, it, isn't it? <laughs> it is. It is. The world has really changed. You couldn't have done that even ten years yeah, ago.
1: Yeah, so. yeah, it's great. Yeah, uh, yeah. I refer to uh, my my home is on the Mad River in, in Warren, Vermont, and wow. I re- I refer to it as uh, world headquarters. It's just oh, that's very me and my kitchen table and uh, looking out at the Mad River, which is pretty sanguine at the moment. But in any event, so this has been fun to to chat. We try to get our podcast. To, in and around a uh, half hour or so. So as we start to wind down here, what, maybe three takeaways in terms of uh, what you've covered. You've covered a lot of ground here and you're doing a great yeah. job with Flyer. So t- what are key, three key takeaways about today and maybe tomorrow?
0: So yeah, to me, three things that differentiate Flyer and that we believe in, you know, smart trading, which we talked about, shorten the time for investment decision to implementation, no more manual uploads and things like that. So get better pricing, right? Get better results. And so, in addition to sort of smart trading, I would say you should be able to do sophisticated portfolio trading quickly. And it should be a multi-asset capability. So, it's important to be able to handle the workflows of other assets, other asset classes, whether it's equity options or fixed income. So, we believe that ubiquitous trading in all asset classes is important. And alternatives should be included in that. And personalization of portfolios should as well. So I also have this view that parts of the ecosystem are commoditizing faster than other parts. So it may be that portfolio reporting or accounting, which is often provided by custodians, is starting to commoditize maybe a little bit. But uh, you also have a lot of investment, a lot of competition over the last five years in things like CRMs and risk and planning and model hubs. And to me, this suggests a pretty crowded field that could start to commoditize as well. So, you know, firms in these areas need to, I think, think about what they can do to differentiate and to lock in partnerships via APIs and longer term deals. So, for any of these firms or for Flyer, you know, it's good to be paranoid, but I currently Mm -hmm. sense that we're in a pretty good spot. Our focus on multi asset portfolio trading and our multi asset trading network and our emphasis on APIs is well positioned to create new partnerships, deepen existing partnerships, and even to move up market into asset management.
1: Well, I've been impressed uh, observing from the sidelines. So... uh... Great job. Yeah, thank you. So one of the things that I always enjoy about these uh, podcast conversations is not only hearing about having a strategy discussion and just talking about the business at large and like finishing each other's sentences and all. But my favorite question is, so what do you do outside of work for fun or you're particularly passionate about? Yeah. It sounds like you're a lousy golfer, so it's maybe not yeah, that. That's, but <laughs> that's out. That's out. But what do you do for fun or you're particularly passionate yeah. about away from work?
0: Well, listen, I mean, family is important to me. I've got two young adult kids as well, great wife, and uh, trying to, you know, help all of them do as well as we can in our lives is important. But the one thing I, I would say that's unusual, really unusual about me is I have a couple of dear friends in New York that we've taken on marathon swimming as sort of a pastime. Oh, wow. So, we call ourselves the machine men. And we've done seven of the biggest ocean swims in the world. So, that wow. includes the English Channel as a relay. Yeah. We swam from Ireland to Scotland as a relay, uh, huh. from uh, Honshu to Hokkaido in Japan, from the North Island of New Zealand to the South Island. We've done seven of these great swims. And and more recently, we started doing some lake swims. So, we did Lake Tahoe, South Shore to Incline Village. We did wow. Lake Ontario. We did Loch Ness. So... We still have a couple more that we have on our map, including uh, Lake Tapo in New Zealand and, and a few others. So uh, uh, that's a pretty unusual thing.
1: Well, you know, we've had 30 plus episodes of uh, the podcast. That That's the coolest one so far, I think. I, I've not, <laughs> okay. at, at the least, the most <laughs> yeah. unusual. But I have but to ask. All those all those bodies of water sound cold. Is that that? You? Oh
0: God! So we're talking. You know, listen to go through the North Sea from Ireland to Scotland. Wow! Water temperature is like forty. Or excuse me, fifty four maybe wow. degrees Fahrenheit. Are
1: and you wearing a swimsuit? or you? A sweatsuit or what do you call it? A well, I wear a swimsuit. Suit. Yes, a swimsuit, but no <laughs> it's a swimsuit. Yes, I'm sorry. A wetsuit. Do, you, yeah. do you wear a wetsuit or just a?
0: No, actually, you can, but it puts you in a different category. So, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, they it's it's considered cheating, you know, because yeah, yeah. it helps you float. You actually swim sure. faster in a wetsuit, so there's more gotcha. buoyancy, and all. So yeah. we we do it with just a uh, you know cap, goggles, and swim trunks on. So, uh, but, but it, is, it
1: is cold, right? I might do it's have that. It's Very right.
0: cold. So you you know, so I mentioned the North Sea. We're talking thousands of lion's mane jellyfish everywhere, and oh, you know, hy- hypothermic conditions. So wow. my 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 friend gets out of the water right from his swim. My other friend goes in. I'm getting ready to go in next, and we had a medic on board. He puts like the thermometer in my friend's mouth, and and after a minute he says, "Well, good news, bad news. Good news, great swim. Bad news, you're technically dead." <laughs> Your, your body temperature is like 89 or something. So it was like, holy crap. So we were wrapping them up and hugging them and putting them in sleeping bags and all this stuff. So, yeah, it's a little, it's a little.
1: I, I have to it, ask, where's the fun? What's the fun part of this? It's a long swim in water is, where you could be considered dead. Explain this to me.
0: Well, listen, there's a little bit of a number of things, you know, <laughs> wanting to honor our fathers. My dad was That's an good. Olympic water polo player. There's right. you know, so. wanting to inspire our kids. Our kids went to school together, the three of us, yeah. you know, wanting to see the world and have a little adventure. So yeah. all good of those you. things. Good for you.
1: Yeah. I, I like it. I like it. I'll never Thank do you. it, but I like it. I just like. It. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I'm Jack, you could, you could
0: float it. You
1: could float I it. Just float it. Yeah. Just yeah. kick. Just kick. Yeah. Right. Right. <laughs> Well, this has been a lot of fun, Brian. I've really enjoyed our yeah. conversation. And out to our audience as we uh, look to close here, really enjoyed talking to Brian. And if you've enjoyed uh, listening into what we've been talking about here, please uh, rate, review, and subscribe and or share what we're doing here at Wealth Tech On Deck. We're available wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks again, Brian. It's been a real pleasure. I can't wait for our next conversation.
0: Yeah, thank you, Jack. Be well. Yeah, thanks. Thanks for listening to this episode of Wealth Tech On Deck, our ongoing conversation about improving financial outcomes for all. This podcast is brought to you by LifeYield and produced by Reverb. Subscribe to future episodes in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. You can connect with our host, Jack Sherry, on LinkedIn and Twitter. And for more information about our perspective on the future of financial advice, visit our website at lifeyield.com.